Good morning. Mark it up. Gospel of Mark as Joshua introduced it today. You know, here's my opening illustration. Seems like, man, last week you used your iPhone. Well, I'm going to use it one more time, then I'll put it down. This is really a relatively small device. Do y'all remember when we used to have the bag phones? How many of you had a bag phone? Go ahead, be proud. And you were scared to call on it because it cost too much. You know, we had it in a car for emergencies, you know, and it's about this big. And when we got rid of it, it's still like it's brand new. I think we used it like six times or something. And then his phones continued. And then you remember when we used to carry those big old phones, you know? And when I go back and see old phones now, I just laugh going, who used to carry that, that fool? It was me. Well, and then they get smaller and smaller. Except some of you that get some of these phones, they're like this big. They're like tablets, you know? I, I just can't figure out how to put it in my pocket. But this one, I like. It's a small device, has amazing capacity, you know, uh, surf the net, listen to music, podcasts, uh, text people, emails, you know, just... Uh, it's my favorite camera. How many of you love your camera on your phone? Remember before? Hey, how many of you remember when we used to buy film? Wasn't that a fun thing? You know, you got a roll of 24 or 36 and you shot them and you went, oh man, look at this. This is like pathetic. I know. And now how many times do you take a shot and then erase it and then get the perfect shot? Do you not? Okay. If I really want to be so, how many of you, how many of you love selfies? Don't raise your hand. But I thought that was funny. Okay. But the reason I started that way this morning was I was thinking, the phone is a small device, and yet it's pretty powerful. Oh, we're going to start a series today in the Gospel of Mark, and it is the shortest of the Gospels. There's the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Mark has, I think, 661 verses. It's a shorter account of the life of Jesus. You can read it in about a 45-minute uh, sitting, Actually, you could read it faster if you wanted to, but maybe slow down a little bit. But it's not, it doesn't take a long time to read it. And yet it is profound. And I want to unpack it over the summer months. And it might even drag just a little bit to the fall. Honestly, I could have done about a 28 or 30 week series and somebody go, thank you, Jesus. He's not going to do that. But we're going to kind of walk through, not kind of, we are going to walk through, peruse up and down the streets of this region. And we're going to see what this John Mark had to say to us as followers of Jesus. Hey, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we're grateful for another service that we can gather as the family of God, maybe as those that are just uh, concerned or just thinking about the gospel. And Lord, I thank you for this gospel that is, has such a harmonious attitude. It's like a quartet. It's, it's, it's like a camera that shoots all the different angles, and it gives us a character sketch of the life of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we would learn from this book together and you would instruct us and God, you would inspire us and somehow in these weeks, in these months, we would get a greater love for Christ and we would follow him fresh and anew, liberated by the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name, amen. I wrote right there across the top of your notes today, just a few comments. I could have given you a lot of different things, but the four Gospels that I introduced it, this series with are very similar. That's why they're called synoptic in nature. And yet the first one probably written was the book of Mark. And we attribute him as the writer. And really what it was, he was the interpreter for another great apostle, and his name was Peter. Because uh, John Mark was really young. Like he was probably just like a, maybe a teenager toward the end of the life of Jesus. But very perceptive. God was working in his life. 
and we see through the scriptures that John Mark was a blessing to the body of Christ. We'll also see in a minute that there was a, a section in his life that a, a guy named Paul was not a John Mark fan, and, and maybe you've read that before, I don't know. But as we go into this, this gospel was written evidently for, for the Romans. He wanted to communicate the gospel to them. They were, they were busy people, and they were powerful people, and they were all about action. When you read the book of Mark, you'll notice it doesn't start with genealogies. It just really begins, it kind of just jumps right in and it reflects the title of Christ and it reflects the life of Christ. I believe the Gospel of Mark records 19 different miracles in the life of Jesus. And over these summer months, we'll look at these miracles and we'll see the power and the compassion of Jesus for humanity. And so much more than that for us this morning. Matthew, when he writes his Gospel, he speaks of being Jesus you are the king of the Jews, and it's that royalty kind of flair. And he talks about what the prophets have said, and he, and he quotes them throughout his letter. Now, Mark, he leaves out a lot of predictions that are found in the Gospel of Matthew, and he does it a little bit different. And Mark portrays Jesus as a, as a servant. He portrays him as a great servant of the master of Jesus Christ himself. And if Jesus said one day, if you want to be great, you must be a Uh, Let me stay again. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. Now, if you don't want to be great, (laughs) then don't serve. But in the kingdom of Christ, man, it calls for that. He repeats himself, and you'll find the gospel writer sometimes will get on a theme, and they'll hit it. He uses this word, immediately. Immediately, Jesus rose up. Immediately, Jesus did this. He's like, Jesus is quick to action. He's quick to respond. It's a rapid gospel, as I tried to state to you earlier. And, and the thing is, I mean, he's, he's probably, he's, they, uh, scholars say he's somewhere between 10 and 15 years old during the life of Jesus. And, uh, and yet, in his teen years, he sees these great events because Jesus only had a three-year public ministry. And in that ministry, oh my goodness, the Bible only contains a small portion that the Holy Spirit gave us of what Jesus did. But this, uh, I love it, just write down on the side, in Mark 14, and we're not going there today, in the 51st to the 52nd verse, it says there was an unnamed young man who streaked out of the garden. You ever noticed that before? And he ran. Wouldn't you want to be unnamed if you streaked out of the garden? Okay, well, you didn't grow up in the 70s. Y'all remember the 70s? How many remember the 70s? When I was in high school, when I was in college, there was this phenomena across America, streaking. And people had songs about it. I don't remember that country music guy. Ethel, yeah. And, 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 and it, man, it was crazy. And the University of Georgia had like the biggest campus that had all this. And you're going, I, I, get back to the text, bro. Get back to the text. You know, when people listen to that podcast, they're going, Pastor, what happened? You were talking, and then you weren't talking, and then voice came back. Okay, all right. All right, so I think I was talking about this woman, his mom, and and the influence she had on the gospel and on on the influence that she had on this boy. Now, here in, in this Roman world, first century, civil war raged throughout the empire. There was all these different things going on, and... The people were getting the gospel. And John Mark writes to the people through the inspiration of the Spirit of proclaiming, of of making a great proclamation of the gospel because he wants the people to have Christ. And 
the, um, John Mark was definitely this very personal companion to Simon Peter. I mean, like they had, they, you know, they, they probably went to Hardee's and had biscuits together. You know, I, I'm just making it up, okay. And, uh, and, but they, they would hang out together. And I don't know if, if you've had that um, opportunity in your life. You know, I was a youth pastor before I became a senior pastor for a long time, and I discipled a lot of teenagers, and I would hang out with teenagers, and I would disciple them. And now I've done that with a lot of adults in the last 22 years. And there's something special about the relationship of a mentor to a mentee. I don't even like the word mentee. It just sounds weird. But this disciple-discipler relationship. And that's who John Mark had was Peter. That's a, that's a pretty good mentor, isn't it? And, and, and Peter had just profound impact on the life of this guy. And he would uh, just instruct him and he would teach him and he would tell him more about Jesus and about the gospel and about, about the Father and about the kingdom. And, and um, so John Mark would receive these teachings and the Holy Spirit would record it for us in the book called Mark. But here's what I hope you'll do. In this summer series, I hope you'll take some time to read Mark a few times this summer. You're saying, Pastor, what is a few? You interpret a few. For some of you, if you read it one, I would just give glory to God right now. But I would encourage you to read it two, three, four times this summer, just, just to read through it and just see what God might instruct, what he might say to you as a person of the kingdom or as a person that wants to know Christ and wants to move in. Because Mark was this activist. He, he was conscientious as a Jew. He, he, um, he, he just wanted to proclaim... He, he wanted, to, um, he, he wanted people to have their lives transformed. He wanted people to, to be redeemed by the grace of Christ, of what Jesus had, uh, had become to him and how precious that was. And I love this particular gospel, as, as I do all of them. In Isaiah, over about the 42nd chapter, it says, Behold my servant who I'm uphold. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. In the opening chapter here in Mark, we begin to see some of these events. Look, look there with me. Open your Bibles if you have them. Uh, tune in your tablet. Look at your device. Look at Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. But let's start right there. The beginning of the gospel. Just circle the word gospel right there in your Bible. And draw an arrow above it and write the word good news. That's all gospel means. Is it is wonderful, great abundant, overflowing news of God that he's come for us. So he wants to proclaim this. And yet we're going to see, if you read throughout the scriptures and you see over in the book of Acts, you see that Paul and Barnabas have this dissension that we'll talk about in a moment and how they decide to split company all because of the boy, of the young man, John Mark. You know, it's really kind of interesting. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, write it down. The Bible says, and it says this, John Mark was the cousin of who? Barnabas. They were related. We, we know that Barnabas believed in his boy. He believed in his nephew. He, or he, 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 his cousin here. He, he believed in him, and he thought that he would be a traveling companion. He thought he was useful. He thought he was uh, influential. Now, Paul thought just the opposite because they had gone out on this missionary journey, and John Mark just decided about midway through the journey, he kind of had this thought, I don't want to be a missionary anymore. And he went home, 
And you've always heard this, or I've heard it over the last many decades, that John Mark was a mama's boy. Does anybody in here know a mama's boy? Now, don't raise your hand or point at anybody. That would not be nice. You might be sitting there going, I'm a mama's boy, but I ain't telling nobody. Your wife already knows it, okay? Or maybe you're here and you're like, man. But you see, I already set it up that John Mark's mom was this incredible woman, but he was. And he, so he, he flees home. He, he goes home. He, he quits. And then later on, he asked me, he says, well, why don't we carry John Mark? And Paul's like, nope. I don't want to have any part in the life of this boy. There, there's no way. I don't want to be reconciled with him. I'm going to go with him. I can't trust him. He quit on us. And here's why I'm making such a big deal out of this. Sometimes in this life, we fail, we fall short, we quit. And the sad thing is, sometimes other people quit on us too. And what I love about Barnabas, he didn't give up on John Mark. I think he prayed for him. I think he encouraged him. I think he believed in him. So it's a great example for us. We all need to be like a Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. He needs to put the life back in him. And I'm not trying to make Paul to be a bad guy because some people go, oh, man, you tell that story, and that's so bad. But if you've never read the Scripture, the great thing is in multiple places in the Word of God, it says that Paul gave honor, and he spoke highly, and he spoke well of John Mark. And it's recorded in Timothy and uh, Philemon and, and different books of the Scripture. It's really a beautiful thing that this, this uh, split marked a splitting, a parting of their ways, and yet God used both these journeys in magnificent ways because like only God can. Write down, here, just write it down, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I, I was trying to find the address, and I knew it had there. The other one is in the book of Philemon, verse 24, because there's, there's no chapters in Philemon. You already knew that, right? Well, maybe not. Okay, so here it is. Here, here's the other thing I want to say. So let, let's jump in this outline, and we're going to see here. First of all, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the gospel, and he says, what does he say? About Jesus Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Did you know that? A lot of times people say, what was Jesus' last name? Christ? No, it was Jesus, okay? Uh, it was son of Joseph, son of Mary. Of course, we know him as the son of God. But Christ was this anointed title. He was the anointed one. He was the Messiah but a lot of times, you know, they just didn't have last names or they didn't use last names, but he's Jesus the Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, or we just say Jesus, but when we say Christ, we go, you are the one from God. You are the Messiah. You are the high and exalted, anointed one of God. And yet we just kind of blow through that, and it's kind of different for us. But yet in this, um, in this gospel that we look at this summer, he records 19 divine miracles. He just, uh, he, he just lays it out there. And, and here's, here's what I hope in the church of 2018. I hope we don't get bored, put out with miracles. I hope we're always enamored with miracles. I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm, go ahead, pick on the Wilhelms and not pick on them. I'm just going to affirm them. Y'all believe in miracles. <laughs> I, I mean, ever since I met y'all. Matter of fact, I remember praying for y'all. You only had AJ, and y'all wanted me to pray for y'all. And next time I saw y'all, y'all had Gideon. You know, that was a miracle, wasn't it? And then all the things he's gone through. And, and that family right there, they believe in miracles probably like um, probably nobody in our church. It's just awesome. So when you read the scriptures, always go, man, this is, 
this is divine. This is supernatural. This is a, this is a thing of God. This is, this is so much bigger. And, and yet, uh, a lot of times we just kind of blow past them. Like, yeah, just another miracle. You know, it's just a thing of God. And it is. But I think John Mark, he does have emotion. He, he has this gospel that he communicates in a beautiful way. But look at it. Here you go. Verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And then on verse 4, then he steps on the scene. You know who Isaiah is prophesying about? Who is he? He's prophesying about John, John the Baptist, wild, woolly, camel hair, locust-eating guy. I mean, can't you see if John Mark came, I mean, if John Mark, if John came in our church this morning and he had a big old locust hanging out of the side of his mouth and he had camel skin and big old woolly beard, you'd go, I'm going to go sit by him. You would not. You'd be going, there's some freak came to our church today. He was weird, man. He had locusts coming out of his mouth, you know. And yet he was a, a wilderness guy. He was out there, and the, he was just trying to survive, and yet he was a prophet of God. He came talking about it, somebody that was so great that we'll see. And he was prophesying about the one that Isaiah had talked about. So as we look at this, I, I, just, I get so excited about the life of, um, of John. Move on with there with me. So John came, verse 4, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Let's stop there. See, I did not make that up, did I? I mean, I couldn't even make up stuff that good. That's really cool. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. But I baptize you with water. But he, he will come, and he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. Man, I, man, there's so much to unpack there as we look at it. But here's the voice of the one, John. He's crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way. We used to sing a great song here at Christ Community in the early years of the church. Prepare the way. How many of you remember that one? Man, our worship pastor, he would stand up and he would sing it. And his little veins and his neck, I thought they were going to explode in him. And it was cool just to watch it. And we would have a dance team in those days. Anybody remember that? And we used to sing, prepare the way. Man, the place would just break out in eruption and excitement and celebration about Christ, that he was here. We were here to worship him. Oh, this is this guy. Now, let, let me just put it in modern-day terms. If President Trump decides this week to come to Montgomery, and I don't think he is, or any past president, when a president comes to a city, everybody goes, whoop-de-doo, president's coming. They do not. They stand in line. They close down interstates. They send in, uh, when President Bush used to come here and he would go out to Ray Scott's house to fish, they would send out people weeks in advance to check telephone poles for bombs. They would go down to the lake and they would swim under the water and they would, that's a good place to swim, and they would go in the water and they would look to see if there were any bombs on the piers. I mean, it was amazing. And they would prepare the way for the president. And today, if our president came, there would be a preparation. Guys, don't miss it. This is the king, the king of kings. There always should be preparation in our hearts. Amen? And so that's why I'm, I'm just trying to tell you that because we read it sometimes. Like, well, yeah, they say, hey, prepare the way. One comes, it forgives sins. Man, that 
is awesome news. This is, this is Jesus, man. Also, let me tell you, when John came, there had not been a prophet for 400 years that had spoken like this. He spoke like a prophet of old. He spoke about the repentance of sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke with kingdom authority. I think he preached with fire, and he preached with tears. You're saying, well, anybody got locusts hanging out of their mouth? I bet he was different. I bet he was preaching, yeah. But, man, he was one sent from God on a mission from God to proclaim God to the people about the Christ. And yet uh, he tells them that there, there needs to be a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, that this action that will follow. But let's, let's keep going here. I want you to see. So verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, guys, let me just stop there. I've been to the Holy Land. I've, I've been to the Jordan River. I was actually baptized in the Jordan River. I've baptized many people in the Jordan River. And it is not a great tributary of water. I mean, it's pretty big, but it's not very wide, okay? What, it wasn't what I had pictured, okay? But it's a powerful place. And here, as, as I study this, and I read commentary after commentary and book after book, and I've been studying and preparing, and I was thinking about some estimate. Now, I want you to hear the enormity of this. This is amazing. Some say there were somewhere between two and 300,000 people came out to these baptism services. And can somebody just say, wow. I mean, okay, y'all heard Greg Laurie on the video last weekend. He was jacked up about 85,000 people in the Texas AT&T Stadium, and so many came to Christ, and that was historic and an amazing thing. But can you imagine 300,000 country bumpkins, country Jews and Gentiles and people gathering on the hillsides for baptism, for the forgiveness of sins? Man, it's, I, I, I've read this so many times, but I've never really quite seen it, what the, the significance and the power of this event, that one would come. Now, he was clothed like Elijah, and maybe some of the old prophets and things were kind of crazy there. But look, on, look here, I want you to see this, verse 7. And this was the message, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie, and I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I want you to write down this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Gospel of John. John 3, 30. He must become greater. I must become less. He must increase. I must decrease. John was all about one thing. I want you to write this in your notes somewhere. Write it down. John was about magnifying Jesus Christ. He was about making Jesus bigger, Jesus known. He wasn't about himself, and yet he had a pretty strong reputation, and people were gathering. They were coming to these baptism services. But he wanted people to see how great and how powerful this Christ was that would forgive sins. And here, move on with me. So he says here, a baptism, this uh, John's baptism demonstrates repentance, but Jesus, his baptism demonstrates transformation. Repentance, turning from sin to something, turning from sin to God. And it's just the life transformed. In, the, in verse 9, at the time Jesus came down from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, as Jesus was coming up by the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, let's stop there. This is always interesting. People will ask me, why did Jesus 
have to be baptized or get baptized. Jesus did not have to be baptized. Jesus is sinless. And the church said, Jesus is a perfect, spotless, pure, holy, undefiled Savior. And in today's world, a lot of people are starting to believe a lot of crazy stuff and taking scriptures out of context. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He had no need. But as I was studying this and I thought about it, he was sinless, but he became sin for us and he became sin for a nation, for the people. He came in his baptism to fulfill the righteousness of God. He came, I think the baptism, it inaugurates his public ministry. Because from this point forward, man, the ministry of Jesus takes off. Actually, there's going to be an event we're going to see in a minute that happens first. But after that, then the ministry of Jesus just gets larger and larger. Also, I think Jesus was baptized because he was supporting the ministry of John that had prophesied about one greater is coming. And another reason that I think he was baptized, Jesus wanted to give you and I an example. So let me just stop right here. There are some people here today that might need to be baptized. You need to let me know. You need to contact me. Let Cheryl know in the office. I want to follow Jesus Christ in baptism. And the church said, we haven't had baptism in a long time. It's breaking my heart. So are we not sharing Christ? We need to be. We need to pray that God would save souls and bring people to Christ, and then we would see them follow Christ in lordship, in baptism, and believe in believer's baptism. In, in baptism, a great thing, church. Amen. So y'all be praying with me about that. But, man, we want to see this baptism. And, and so Jesus models it here. He gives an example. And here he, he says uh, he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And it says when he came up, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. The heavens split wide open. And so it's kind of a cool thing that, that happens there. And here's all these people responding to the message of John. Now they're going to respond to the message of Jesus. That here's the Messiah. But I, I want you to see, that I love this next verse. Look at verse 11. And then the Bible says, a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Guys, underline that in your Bible. Go home if you didn't bring your Bible. Underline that. With you, Jesus, I am well pleased. Here we see the complete Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming together. And the Father speaks out of heaven. What would you do if you heard a big voice out of heaven coming? And he says, with you, I'm well pleased. And let me make it practical today. I ask you, uh, no, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to suggest a prayer for you. It's one of my prayers. I know you're saying, man, you got a lot of prayers. I do. I do a lot of prayer walking, Don, I'll tell you. And when you walk 45 minutes and pray, you can pray a long time. And one of the things that I pray about, Lord Jesus, help me be pleasing in your sight. Just write that down. Jesus, help me be pleasing in your sight. This experience, the father validates, and he says to the son, I am well pleased with you. Man, that is divine validation. That is divine approval. Man, that is, that is just awesome news. And, 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 and that baptism is available to all of us as children of Christ that will turn from sin and receive Christ, that we will repent, turn, and believe the gospel and receive Christ into our lives and follow him. Man, that, man that is, that's the news for Christians. 
That's the news for us today. That, Lord, you, here's what John would say. Hey, some of y'all think I'm kind of crazy. And he probably put his, pulled his, he probably snapped the locust in half. And he said, he, he is the one. He's talking about Jesus. See, they thought, they thought it was John. Oh, no, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. But I came to lift him up. I came to proclaim. I came to make a proclamation that the Son of God just showed up. Do you know as a Christ follower that Christ dwells in you by the Holy Spirit and when you walk into a place, God showed up? How many of you ever thought about your witness like that? Some of you are going, God showed up when I showed up? He's got a poor witness and clean your life up. (laughs) Repent, believe, trust. Ask him to expand the borders of your influence. Man, I I see so many things here. I think I've got a quote here by Donald English. It's going to be nice. Here it is. Jesus did not become identical to us, but he he did become identified with us. He identifies with us in baptism. He calls us to identify with him and following him in baptism. I thought it was interesting when I found this quote, Donald English. I went, Donald English, Donald English. He's an Englishman, and I'm not trying to be cute. He really is an Englishman. I met him when I went to England in the 90s. <laughs> and I started laughing because I read this guy, and this guy's written commentaries, and he's a very, I think he's out of the Wesleyan tradition, and he loves Jesus Christ. And I was on an airplane, and we'd have flown all night to London, and, and, and the guy I was traveling with, he said, now, Keith, in the morning when we get there, we're going to be dead tired we're going to have a meeting with Donald English. And I'm going, the Donald English? He goes, Donald English. <laughs> and I'm not lying to you. I go into that man's office, and I walk in. He's got books, and he'd written half of them. And, uh, and I sit down, and I just sit down in his office, and he starts talking. And the guy is dry, is dirt, but he loves Jesus. I've been flying all night. I went to sleep right there on his office. I I nodded off twice. We got through the guy said, you fool, what are you doing? That was Donald English. I said, I know, but my eyes are heavy. I'm tired, bro. I I know you can't even make up stuff that good. It was really embarrassing is what it was, you know. You you ever flown all night before? Yeah. And it just messes you up when you get there. And then they're like, man, you're meeting a dignitary. (laughs) You know, he never did write me either. I don't know why. Okay, here we go. I think I embarrassed him. Okay, here. So here we go. The baptism of Jesus Christ. Fill in this blank. The servant's sincere identification with sinners. I think I left that out. Did I leave out the first blank too? I did. Did y'all put it up there? Y'all just help me all you can. Okay, I'm just getting excited. Servant and a savior. The servant's sincere identification with sinners. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to provide for us. He came to identify with us. He came to help us. He came to rescue us. Oh, man, thank you, Jesus, that you came, that you call us to follow after you. That word immediately that I talked about is used 41 times in the Gospel of Mark. And I pray that somehow Christ would create immediacy, an immediate response in us to respond to him, to follow him to obey him. It could be today that God's going to call you today from your sin to trust in Christ, to make him your Savior and Lord. Awesome. It might be that Christ is stirring your heart today in this message that he's calling you to baptism. 
And man, if he is, don't delay it. Let us know. Contact us. And we, we want to follow up with that. We want to help you be obedient. And so here's, here's the Spirit of Christ moving through the prophet John. And of course, then it's Christ himself and, and, and the Trinity is all there together, the one with whom I am well pleased. I'll just go back to that thought because it's worthy. Oh, I pray that Jesus just goes. You know, John, Susan, Gloria, Bill, Doug, I'm well pleased with you. You know what I long to hear? I, I long for this with all my heart. Well done. Thy what? Thy good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear my master say to me. I want him to say it to you. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. But in this life, I want him to go, I'm pleased. You're not perfect. Lord knows. You, Keith, let me talk to you. I, I know, Lord. But I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased that you're pursuing my heart. You're purposing to follow me. You're purposing to have less of you and more of me. You are my son. The father says to the son, you're my beloved son. I hope he says to you today, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're a prize. I love you. I was watching the K-Love Awards the other night. Anybody watch it besides me? It was live for the first time ever on TBN. And uh, one of the guys, Matthew West or something, one of the artists was talking about just when he finally realized that God loved and liked him. He liked him. He loved him. He was crazy about him. You know, if we're not careful, sometimes in the church we need to preach judgment, we need to preach the full gospel and the full word of God. But at the end of the day, i got to tell you, God is for you who be against you. Amen? God's crazy about you. He's pursuing you. He's wooing you. He's drawing you. He's calling you. And as long as this preacher's got breath and a mic that works, ha, ha, ha. Now I'm having to work hard today, man. Holding this thing, I don't know what to do. I got a sweat rag in this one. I got this. I need three arms today. You know what I'm saying? Somebody just wants to come here and say, hey, Pastor, I'll come here. I'll just wipe the sweat off of you. That's that holy inspiration that's flowing. I just want to know, are y'all hot? No, it's all of you saying, Pastor, I'm so comfortable. I was a little cool. Well, bless your heart. Come up here and sit with me. You will not be cool. All right, here it is. The voice, the voice from heaven. Let me get there quickly. Genesis 22, 2. Then God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I will show you. Here's that voice from heaven coming. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Isaiah 42, 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. But you are my beloved son, Jesus. That's what the Father said. So Christ becomes the perfect lamb that we know from as we get into more of the gospel. And he's that substitute for us. And we just need to honor him. We need to bless him. And we need to go, Christ, I want you. So I'm reading this gospel and I'm just going, Lord, man, you, you show up. You're magnificent. You're majestic. You're the holy one of God. You're the monarch. You're the king. And then you give the Holy Spirit and you call us, and let's just keep going. Verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. I get so excited when I see that the angels attended him. I don't know if they physically provided for him or if they spiritually ministered to the Spirit and to the person of Jesus, 
But the word says they, they were present. But it says that the Spirit did what? He led him out. He moved him out into the desert in that great temptation, those 40 days. And it's just, it, you read that and you go, oh my goodness, this, this determination of temptation. Have you ever noticed when you make a decision sometimes that temptation will be right behind it trying to knock you off and it just comes after you? And some of us succumb to temptation more than others, but we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can't escape and he provides. And the test comes and Sometimes we win and we pass a test. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes, if I can be honest, sometimes we want to avoid the test. Do I have anybody here besides me that wants to avoid the test that God gives sometimes? I don't like some of the tests. Like, God, I don't want to take, give that one. Give that one to Caitlin. She's really good. No, Caitlin, I would never pray that for you. Hey, give, that, give it to my friend. No, God, I'll tell you what, give that to my enemy. That would be Christ-like, right? No. Don't avoid the temptation. I mean, I want you to avoid it. I don't want you to fall into it. But in that, in that test that God gives in the temptation, I want you to overcome. I want you to pass a test that God's got. Because here, the Spirit of God moves, leads Jesus out there for 40 days. Man, what an incredible thing. And here's what I know about the test. The tests are developed, they're set up to strengthen us. When we pass the test spiritually, we get greater resolve. We're able to overcome. I talk to people all the time that have overcome great tests in their faith. And they're magnificent Christians. They're strong. And they don't get blown to and fro by the winds of this life. Man, they, they dig in. They know what it is to be tested because they've found that God is faithful. How many believe that God is faithful this morning? He is a faithful God. Somebody came just to hear that word this morning in the Gloria, that God is faithful. And we got another Gloria, you too. And, and God, God is faithful, and he wants to deliver you through that. He wants to strengthen you through that test. I, I don't know what it is, but God, I, I know you're faithful, and I know that we trust you and that we love you. Let me give you this verse about temptation. You're talking about temptation, being tempted. You've got to look at James 1.12. Look quickly. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which, which God has promised to those who love him. God promises to be with us in the temptation, in the testing of our faith. So we, we, we see how tough this can be. Caitlin, I'm going to ask, invite you to go ahead and come to the piano. But in this thing, I want you to see the last blank. I want you to fill it in. We're called to live lives of simplicity and purity. I think that's what John would tell us, and I know that's what John Mark would say, that we're a messenger. We're a servant messenger of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of the high priest, of the high God, Jehovah, of the Lord Jesus himself. And sometimes it's easy to misunderstand the nature of the kingdom. And yet, in this kingdom, it's always about servanthood. It's always about putting Christ first. It's about putting others ahead of ourselves. Because he says, here's the one that comes. And this one is magnificent. This one is mighty. This one is holy. This one is from God. This one is worthy. So this morning when you leave here, I, that's what I pray, that you'll go, Jesus is worthy of my best. He'll help me overcome the temptations and the test of this life. He'll guard me through those. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, I pray that today you would change minds, that you would change our minds maybe where we've uh, gone astray, that you would help us to abandon the wrong directions, the wrong 
um, guidance that maybe we received in our life. Lord, help us to abandon that and to follow you from this day forward. Help us to follow you in a, a new direction. Help us to seek you. Help us to run after you. Help us to turn from sin to you. Lord, I'm grateful that the Word of God says that today is the acceptable day of salvation for those who will believe in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to believe with all our heart today, Lord. We love you and we need you and we trust you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are worthy and you are more than enough. Give us passion to follow you, God. God, teach us in this gospel this summer. Set us on fire. And let us proclaim there is one who is greater, and his name is Jesus.